You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Track FM's local watering hole. Definitely a lot of water down here tonight because we're under the sea. <laughs> under the sea. Darling, Darling it's better it's down where it's wetter. Take, Take it, from, it me. from me. Oh, I mean, oh wait, no, sorry, wrong fish person. My bad. Uh, we're going to be talking about Aquaman tonight, and uh, I'm really excited about this one. Um, I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and um, I'm glad to have two just incredible guests here with me tonight. The one and only Christy Morris. Hey, I'm here from Hotlantis. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. Hotlantis. <laughs> Hashtag Hotlantis. Yeah. Bruce, uh, are you also coming from Hotlantis or? I am. It is quite hot in Hotlantis. <laughs> and wet. <laughs> Aren't you? The, oh, oh, I'm, oh, my bad. Of course, Bruce, you're the one who's making it hot. Ooh, yes. Yeah. What am I, yeah. chopped liver? <laughs> 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 well, it is going to be, I think, a very fun show tonight. Uh, before we dive in to the movie, make sure you find us all over the place. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts here on the 602 Club. But if you are over on Apple Podcasts or uh, you know iTunes, please do give us a star rating review. Help people find the show. Uh, it it really does, and uh, it just helps us rise in those weird rankings that happen with iTunes. It's always it's always interesting. So uh, make sure you do that. You can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have uh, got the website, of course, at Trek.FM, where you could also go and send us an email at Trek.FM slash contact. And then, of course, we've got the listeners-only discussion group. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, just type Babel into the search field there, or if you're on the website at Trek.FM, uh, any of the show pages, you can hit discussion on the menu bar, and that will also let you write in, and you'll be able to talk with everybody about all of the different things that are going on here on the Trek FM network, since there are so many things going on. But, uh, guys, we are here to talk about Aquaman, and so I just wanted to ask you both, uh, you know, as you're coming into this movie, I just, I didn't even know what either of y'all's expectations were this movie, if you had any. Um, so I just kind of wondered wh where you were coming from with this. Sure. I, with, for me, it was really um, something I'd been waiting on for a while. I'd been a little disappointed with several of the DC movies that had come out so far. My favorite was Wonder Woman, but the others kind of left me hanging a little bit. And uh, I liked Aquaman and Mira in the comics, actually. Um, I used to want to cosplay as Mira and just still haven't done that. So now I guess I have to. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was a big fan of them and, and Manta before from the comics and was looking forward to seeing this movie and hoping it would be good. But I said, first and foremost, out, out on Twitter even, that I felt like you needed to go in with an open mind. Maybe this one would be different if you had been burned by the other movies. Um, and I do feel like having um, this director and um, the actors that they did um, helped it as well. So I was pleasantly surprised. You know, 
I say this all the time. I never go in with expectations. At least I try mm-hmm. not to. But I did. So I kind of went in with slightly higher expectations because based on like what Christy is talking about, DC Universe movies, uh, there's been some disappointment from the general audience and critics. And there was such a high success with Wonder Woman that I think they were probably now going to steer towards what Wonder Woman has done and kind of learn from that of what worked and see what audiences thought that didn't work with the other DC movies and start moving that direction. Mm -hmm. So I thought that now that they had probably the secret ingredient that Aquaman would perform better than I think most people would expect. I was really going into this thinking people are going to be pleasantly surprised that Aquaman's going to be better than they were expecting. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody who, who's listened to the show knows where I come from. And I think the the only, I, I guess, movie that doesn't really live up for me in the DC film so far is is Suicide Squad. I mean, it, I still will enjoy watching it, but it's not a great film. And so the rest of them I, I have either loved or, you know, liked. And so it, it's been um, good for me. And so I came in hoping that, you know, that this would obviously be better than Suicide Squad mm-hmm. um, and be somewhere in the the milieu of the Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, Batman v Superman, which all of those movies I really, really like. And, you know, something that was interesting coming into this is seeing that this movie has been doing crazy business overseas like it's had a massive opening in china for the past two weeks and in fact it already has passed captain america civil war over there um and it's done better than every other dc movie uh, over there as well so you know seeing that kind of thing happen and seeing some people i know on twitter who had gotten a chance to see it and um you know really liked it uh, that, you know, it, it definitely left me wanting to go into this one and then thinking, okay, I think this is going to be good. And so, um, I'm really excited to kind of see as we talk through the, the film, how it ended up doing for all of us. But one of the things that I think I was most struck by with this, just even seeing the trailers and now the movie is that this, this movie really builds an entire universe, you know, because we're in a place that we don't normally go, uh, which is underwater. And so the whole part of like building Atlantis and, and the, the ways in which this movie kind of borrows, you know, from like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, they even have some Indiana Jones feel to it with some Godzilla thrown in. Like there's a lot to this movie. And um, I wanted to ask you guys just starting off, you know, when we're talking about, you know, creating a whole new world, where oh you guys God. come down on that one um, with this this you know under ocean world? I mean, again, this is just this is just not something that anybody's really tried to do because obviously it's really difficult uh, <laughs> trying to uh, film underwater. You either have to film under the water, you have to do what they did, um, where you know you can posit it all together, and you've had you know them on like harnesses and stuff. So you know all of that stuff. I just wanted to know. Uh, first and foremost, does that work for you, what they create? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is really a tough movie to to make because if it's going to take place underwater, it's going to be dark and you can't do a movie in a dark space. So they have to lighten it up. And if you've ever seen any type of film that is actually underwater, it's kind of gloomy 
and like I said, dark and it wouldn't work for an entire film like this to look exactly like it's underwater. So there were parts of it that I was just like, it kind of looks like they're underwater, but it kind of looks like they're fake underwater. But at the same time, I realized you have to do that. You have to, you have to make it look like it's underwater while it's not realistically underwater. And I like the one excuse. I say it's an excuse, but I like the creative angle of the eyes adjust for these beings down there that it illuminates the things under there. So I was taking the impression that we're like these beings, you know, we're seeing it through their eyes. This is what it looks like underwater to them. If we ourselves went underwater, it wouldn't look this way. It would be too dark. We wouldn't be able to really see It would be painful and salty. (laughs) Yeah. And so I really, I like that, that play, that explanation in there. And that helped me uh, accept it more. And I mean, it is, based on a comic book and and TV series and other things that it has to have that kind of fun and kind of almost cartoonish look to it, bright to it. And that was something I think that was completely new. I don't necessarily think Aquaman ever had that ability in the comics that I remember with the the eyes. Yeah. I don't remember that either. Yeah. But I don't think they've ever I I don't think they've ever explained that in the comics. I've been reading Aquaman for a long time, but I think it's just it's kind of a given. Mm -hmm. Um, And the and the panels are always I mean, underwater is is always even in the comics brighter than it would be actually that far underwater. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I felt like the scenery was the standout thing in this movie because in every scene where there was a lot of tension or there was fighting going on, I always felt the impact of how big that world was. And I loved the scene, um, especially with the trench and the creatures on the boat. And then when Arthur and Mira are diving down to the bottom with the one flare and you're worried the whole time it's going to go out it, the, the world building that went on with that, that scene really blew me away because you're seeing just this growing number of like millions of creatures surrounding them. And I loved it. So I, yeah, that was kind of terrible. Yeah. But (laughs) well, and it makes sense since James Wan is, is known, I mean, mainly for being a horror director. Mm -hmm. And so I think he brought some of those elements for sure. And in scenes like that, but it worked. Yeah. No, I I heartily agree. And not only that, but I felt like those creatures looked really good, too, just when we're talking about look and feel, you know, and I I felt like they they had a weight and reality to them. They looked very scary Um, and they Mm -hmm. didn't it didn't just look like another CGI like creation thing. It looked much better. Um, I think that scene was was one of the standouts for me as well, just when it came to creating a mood and attention and um, using the effects to the best of your ability. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think I was telling this to my wife and I, after we saw the movie and we were on the way home, I, I think the thing that really works about this is the fact that it is underwater. And so all of the CGI work, um, there is a gloss and a sheen to it, which makes sense because we're underwater. Right. And so, I mean, even if you're in a pool, right, and you see a person underwater with goggles on, it, it has a different look and a feel to it. So, and then the biggest thing that you want is, is that you want consistency with the effects. And so I think that's the thing that they were able to do is they were able to create a consistency with the effects. It doesn't have, it, I, you know, I've talked to Nick D'Anastasio about this, uh, who's, you know, um, done special effects editing for ILM. So he knows what he's talking about. 
But the, the fact that you don't have to have perfect effects, you need consistent effects. And uh, I think that for me, in the world building and in the effects work, there's maybe only one scene where it really stood out to me where I felt like the, the work wasn't great, and that was when they were on the beach practicing. I could tell they were on a set. Um, oh my gosh, that scene bothered me too. I'm so yeah, glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's the one scene. Um, what's funny is that the special effects work on de-aging Willem Dafoe is perfect, but the rest of the effects work isn't. They're, they're definitely... Yeah. It, it doesn't look like they're really on the a beach there. And, but that's the, the rest of it, you know, when we're in these big underwater places and we're building Atlantis and you've got massive armies clashing. I mean, it looked like, you know, underwater Lord of the Rings and Star Wars yeah. together. And that's exactly kind of what you want. And I think all of that works perfectly. Uh, and that's a real testament to how much work they put into this movie. Um, to to because it, I think you said this, Christy. But if that doesn't work, this movie doesn't work. And because yeah. that works, I think it helps you buy into the film, and it allows you then to go on the ride because you're not being pulled out every few seconds. Like, oh, that doesn't look right, or oh, that doesn't like it. It it mm-hmm. definitely looks good. Um, I thought it was is actually one of the most stunning movies I've seen all year, just visually, because there's it it. it it's like Star Wars in the sense that this is a whole new world that we've never seen before. And they've really done a good job of creating something that's visually appealing to your eye to where you want to look on screen at all the little nooks and crannies. And like, I, I am desperate to see this movie in IMAX because they filmed a majority of the film in IMAX and it's presented in that format. So it's even bigger. So I would love to see that. Um, So I, yeah, and the fact that you're, he's able to work in a Lord of the Rings feel, a Star Wars feel, an Indiana Jones feel, and a Godzilla feel at the end with a kaiju mm-hmm. is just, it was awesome. Yeah. Like, I loved that you had these little bits and feels from these different types of movies and you're putting it all together. And, and it just makes sense because it's Atlantis and it's mythology. And so, you know, I think the part that makes this successful for me is that instead of pulling back from the crazy, of the Aquaman comics, Juan just embraces it wholeheartedly and just goes whole hog for it. Or I guess you would say, you know, whole tuna. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's worse than some of my jokes. So, and hey, that's I'm bad. practicing my dad jokes, okay? Come on. I'm not going to be a dad. I'm not announcing I'm going to be a dad. I'm just practicing. <laughs> right. Wait, this is a big announcement? Matt has no. a big announcement. <laughs> First. <laughs> no. Well, you know, this is what I find very interesting, not just about this movie, but some others in the last few years, is the acceptance of a fully animated CG movie, live action movie like this. Because putting on my Star Wars hat, when especially when Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, came out, the complaint I've heard for years was, well, they did it in front of a green screen. The actors weren't really there. It wasn't, you know, and, and, and all these sets and and things were all CG and put in there and that sucks, that sucks, that sucks. And it's like now all of a sudden this movie has just as much, if not more, and everybody's accepting it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if our culture has just got to a point now that we are okay with it. And back when Star Wars, the prequels were doing it, it was something new that was a bit jarring. I'm, I mean, I'm not making a complaint of it. It's just an observation how people seem so readily able to accept a fully CGI 
movie that's in a live action setting versus back when the prequels came out. Yeah, I, I think maybe it has something more to do with our like level of forgiveness now for knowing that things like this can't easily be done without doing it this way. Right, because I mean, practical effects on Aquaman would really suck because it would be yeah, all right. done in a pool. <laughs> and they'd be talking like... <laughs> and their hair would be in the way. They actually tried and did some underwater tests just to see what would work. And, and they realized it just wasn't going to work. And so I, I think you're absolutely right. I do think, again, part of it comes down to, though... And and it's the one part that pulled me out on that beach. Like, that was the only scene when they were on land where it totally kind of like, I was like, okay, I realize this isn't real, right? The rest of the stuff I felt like on land looked really good. I didn't have a problem with it. And and a majority of that didn't have tons of special effects with it. And so you're just like them driving the truck and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, So... I, I think that they did a very good job of of creating, again, a consistency with the look of the effects so that you just buy it. You know, like, this is what this world looks like, you know? In the same way that when you're watching the Lord of the Rings movies and, you know, you're at Helm's Deep and there's a mashup of all different types of effects, but it all works. But all the almost all the orcs, except for, like, 200 of them, are, you know, these CGI creatures along with them battling all of these, you know, armies of Rohan, you, you can't, you almost can't tell anymore which is real and which is not, you know. It, it's just the work has gotten so good, and I definitely think they, they owe a lot to um, the, the work put into it. I think they did a really good job. Um, I did want to ask, you know, Christy, you had, you had asked, um, just kind of building the world, and you had mentioned the idea of tone in some of the scenes when we were talking beforehand. And... Um, I wanted to ask you about that because this movie definitely has, as I mentioned, you know, you have some Lord of the Rings, some Star Wars, Indiana Jones, that kind of stuff feel to it. So there are some different types of tone that happen throughout the movie. There's some funnier scenes. There's some more emotional scenes. So how do you feel like that worked throughout the movie? I think overall it worked pretty well. There were just one or two places that kind of took me out of the story because of the change in tone so abruptly. Um, I, I really, um, felt uncomfortable when they were doing this ring of fire scene where it's supposed to be like a battle to the death between Arthur and Orm. And, you know, it's their half brothers, they're finally meeting and then they've challenged each other. And then all of a sudden they switch to a giant octopus playing the drums. It felt a little bit, Little Mermaid, silly, uh, not fitting for the serious tone of that scene um but it i mean i think otherwise in general everything flowed more naturally um except the other time was um when arthur and mira were in italy seemed a little out of place with what had previously been going on in the movie how so i want to i just want to pick your brain for a second what was it about that scene that felt was it the fact that they slowed it down a lot and kind of made it like gave them those connecting scenes where they kind of build a little bit of their connection or? Yeah, I think that they should have either had more of that sooner um, and had them, you know, it, the building of the relationship happen more throughout the story. Um, it It felt like it just came out of left field. Oh, now they're on a date, you know, that before it was really more they just 
had a mutual understanding. They weren't even really friends. And then now it's supposed to be, oh, it's switched to love. And we've got the romantic music. And we're in Italy. And we're eating roses together. (laughs) It just, it felt very thrown together to me. There were times that I did feel that there were scenes that... I don't know if I I just almost felt like the director was trying to not let something get too serious or get too emotional or too Mm -hmm. whatever. Like it just seemed like there was always something that would break it, whether it's, and it didn't, there there's times it bothered me and other times it didn't. The, the drum playing octopus didn't really bother me (laughs) that much. It's kind of funny to say it and think about it though. (laughs) But um, there were just times where I thought, Oh, this, this feels like a really good scene. And then it's abruptly interrupted by an explosion or something, you know, funny has to happen. Like for example, uh, at the very beginning, near the beginning of the movie, when Aquaman is in the bar with his father, I thought that was a really good scene between the two. I wanted to see what that relationship was like. And then you have these guys come up to him in, in the bar and say, you know, as if they're going to beat up Aquaman, then it's just, Oh, they just wanted a selfie. And you know, it's kind of funny, but again, I felt like, Oh, we have a nice, you know, intimate scene between father and son. And now we got to put something funny in this. And it just, there was just times I didn't feel like the director really trusted it. Like he was, I felt like he was thinking I might lose the audience. So I got to throw something in here. There's just times I was feeling like that. And I just wanted it to just play out. Same. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, the octopus scene, uh, I felt like to me went along more with the, they, they kind of made, I felt like the Ring of Fire uh, very much this, you know, Coliseum type feel, which is there's that juxtaposition of what's happening in the ring, you know, and what's happening with the spectators. And mm-hmm. so you have that, like, they're fighting to the death, but this is a big party for everybody. We're cheering like it's a sporting event when somebody here is possibly going to die, you know, um, which is that strange thing, you know, you would get in the Colosseum in Rome when people are being eaten by lions and people think that's funny, you know, like, right. So I thought, I thought that's where I went with that. Um, the, the, the part in, in Italy was actually one of my favorite parts. And I just liked it because I felt like when I was looking at the movie, it's the first time they've both had a chance to slow down because they're on Mm -hmm. kind of adventure together. And because they, legitimately have to slow down because they don't have the next clue it gives you that opportunity to start to introduce you know the the aspects of them kind of connecting in a way they haven't truly connected with yet and part of that is just that they're seeing each other in a different light like uh Mm -hmm. and and she's getting the opportunity to see the surface world willie for the first time kind of almost through arthur's eyes when he was saying earlier all the good things that there are about you know the surface world and she's like naming all the things we've done wrong to the oceans you know, he's like, mm-hmm. yes, 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 but that's not all there is, you know, and, and that's a big key to the movie, which is that whole theme of that's not all there is about each side, you know, um, just the bad things. And then, yeah, I guess, I don't know, Bruce, I just thought that scene was hilarious because I felt like the scene in the bar to me, usually it's the guys wanting to beat up the person. And so to switch it to them being like, dude, you're cool. I want a picture with you. I thought was kind of. I mean, it was just nice to see them not do the complete, you know, cliched thing of like, oh, we're going to have a bar fight here. No, it turns into, hey, we just want a selfie. And then they spend the rest of the night drinking together because you see all the pictures of it, which 
I don't know. I thought the pictures were funny. Yeah, they were funny. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think it is, uh, it, it is interesting. There, there are many different tones in this movie. Um, I think the part that kind of stood out from Christy, when you mentioned that, I was thinking through the movie, and the only part that really stuck out to me, and it's, it's partly because of the use of music. When they have Pitbull's version of uh, Africa playing um, as they're going oh, on yeah. their journey, um, it's a funny choice, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily the music that I would have picked to, as they're going on this adventure together. Um, I mean, I get it because they're traveling to Africa and the rains haven't come in the Sahara for you know thousands of years, right? So right. it's a little bit funny, but maybe but, a different um, version. <laughs> yeah, but I felt like that was a moment to me, and that was I think I think that may have been really the only moment when I felt like okay, you may have. This you have, I think you've transitioned in this moment to cheesy, and you didn't mm-hmm. need to do that, and and so I would have made a a different choice there. Um, so, and I think, but the other thing is, is that um, for me, when we're talking about the tone, I'm like, oh, well, I just wish I could have seen this one more time. We all went to the Amazon screening, um, and that's five days early, so we've only seen the movie once. So you'll have to forgive us if we don't have perfect recollections of everything but i definitely feel like i know for me i'm always in a movie like this very kind of critical as i'm watching i'm like oh how does that work and how does that you know and all that stuff and many times even with a star wars movie or, uh, or anything i'm really working forward to it takes that second time where i can really just sit back and then just allow the movie to kind of do its thing because i already know what's coming so, um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting thing when you're trying to put together uh, a movie like this. And again, he's pulling from so many different areas. So I do think that this movie really rests on the shoulders of Jason Momoa. And I feel like the big shoulders, the of big, Jason broad, hotlantis shoulders of Jason shoulders. Momoa. Um, and I, I felt like. Zack Snyder had made a perfect choice. You know, when he cast him back, you know, all the way back for Batman v Superman for that one scene <laughs> where he's, uh, uh, you know, seen underwater. That's all you see him. Um, I-, I just feel like this movie doesn't work without him. I absolutely agree. And it's hilarious, too, because for anybody that knows the long history of Aquaman, he traditionally was caucasian short blonde hair you know the suit was the same but the the actor is a completely different look Mm -hmm. than how aquaman originally started um so it it was a a nice change i think to go with um this whole thing about you know really embracing him being half of each world um and having timora morrison as the dad i also loved but um, yeah, I think Jason Momoa does a, a great job of coming in and making it fun. Most of all, I think it needed that. Um, but also making it interesting, picking somebody as an actor that would be unique, um, and unexpected to play this role. Um, and you know, it, he gets kind of a bad rap because, um, uh, uh, he kind of tends to play one type of character, um, the call Drogo Game of Thrones, you know, barbarian, not super intelligent kind of character. <laughs> but, I mean, every time I've seen him play that role, I thought at least that he 
does such so well in that role. So I think that this just fit right into his wheelhouse. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about how the movie was structured initially, but I'm going to assume that they structured it around Jason Momoa. And what I mean by that is I think the whole tone and feel of the movie was structured to play with the personality that jo- Jason Momoa would bring to the movie. I mean, the the movie is fun and exhilarating and fast and action. And you could almost say that's the same with Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa has that personality that he can kind of wink at the camera without looking at the camera. And his sense of humor and his style is very, is all throughout this movie, in my opinion. And I think he's great, and I think he's a perfect fit for this movie. I think he's a perfect Aquaman. He's the kind of person that needed to play this role because Aquaman could have been very boring. His character Mm -hmm. could have been very bland. And Jason Momoa just brought a lot of energy to the character and a lot of wit and strength to the character. Um, I I don't think his performance was outstanding, meaning I didn't see a lot of range in in uh, his portrayal of the character, but the script also wasn't calling for that. It wasn't like there was all these big emotional scenes or anything where he'd have to cry or get really furiously mad. But it was a nice, a nice portrayal of this character from him. So I, I really enjoyed it. And I mean, he definitely brought all the female viewers. <laughs> Believe me, there's this woman next to us at the theater kept talking about how hot he was. So yes. <laughs> You know what? Same here. And Christy was that woman sitting next to me. (laughs) I think your daughter was also one of them. (laughs) I think Madison said it too. (laughs) You know, I I agree with you guys because I really do think that um, them choosing him to play the character, you know, he's half Hawaiian and half Iowan, you know? So, I mean, the fact that he's kind of a half and half himself, I think makes... Um, for something that's really special and kind of going with, you know, like Tamora Morrison being his father and giving him this kind of like Islander um, ancestry when they have such a big connection with the ocean. I think it's just such a smart move. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I I really do think Zack Snyder was kind of thinking of that when he cast him. So I'm really thankful he did. And I think uh, Momoa brings a lot to the role and I think he showed some places where you could see where he could it, it, next movie, you know, if they if the script calls for it, he can definitely go to places. But I think one of my favorite moments is the small moment, um, you know, when he's talking to the Karathan, I think is how you say it. Um, and he's he it he just falls on his knees and admits that he's not worthy. You know, I thought that was one of his best scenes. Um, yeah. You know, where, where you know, he is showing a, just a slight amount of range um, to, to what he can do. and But I think that it is his swagger that makes this movie work because that is kind of that character as it is written on the page and he pulls it off perfectly. And, you know, he's kind of snarky and, and you know, he, he always has a goofy line most of the time. But I, I feel like they also did a good job of showing how much he cares for the people around him. Like when they were in Italy and, you know, they're being chased by Black Manta and um, 
that church building starts to collapse and he's helping all the people, you know, like you start, I mean, you, he, he brings a lot, I think, to the role in that. Um, and I think he, he did a good job with, with all of the arcs that they gave him. So, um, but honestly, I can't imagine an, another actor really pulling off this role as well as he does. And he's just fun to watch. You know, like that the first scene that he's in with with the submarine, he's just great. Like he's magnetic. Um, I loved that they gave him to do like when he takes the watertight door and he turns it into a shield. I'm like, hmm, he's been learning mm-hmm. from Diana. Uh, you know, just things like that <laughs> where you know like, he, he's picked up little moves from his Justice League coworkers now and uh that this there were some little things like that that I just really appreciated. I think he's forever changed Aquaman. I think anybody yeah. who portrays Aquaman going forward is he's going to be the template. He's, you know, it's like Sean Connery with James Bond or Christopher Reeves Amen. with Superman. I think Jason Momoa is always going to be the real Aquaman. I agree. <laughs> uh, I did want to add to, I think that um, when Matt was mentioning the scene in the sub at the beginning, I thought it was a nice addition to that they show how the whole thing between he and Black Manta even mm-hmm. starts. Yeah. Um, and that they don't ever really say he is until Black Manta gets the suit later. Um, but I knew because I loved Manta. Um, but anyway, I, I like that he um, he says to him, you killed innocent people. You know, like, I'm, I'm not just going to let you get away with that. And now you're asking me for mercy? Ask the ocean for mercy. And I thought that that was great because it's showing all of these internal struggles that, you know, he's not just this guy that doesn't care and was willing to leave people to die for no reason. They came on board and killed some people and now they're asking him for help. And he's like, how dare you? Well, and I like that, too, you bringing that up because it also connects later with what at the very end with the way that he reacts to Orm instead of killing him. You know, that Mm -hmm. that whole arc is there because he realized he made the wrong choice with Manta because he is partially, he finds himself partially responsible for the choices that Manta makes. Now Manta makes his own choices, right? Uh, and Manta's the, crazy. I mean, he's kind <laughs> of just a jerk anyway. Um, but Manta uses that as an excuse and he gave him that excuse by not helping him. And I think he, he sees the, the mistake that he made then with Manta and he wants to make that different. And I think that's uh, that's good. I, I, the one thing I felt like about the script itself was just that when I looked at the character arcs specifically for somebody like Manta and like uh, Aquaman, both of those characters had a very clear like arc going. And specifically Aquaman, and they seeded a couple of different things from some of the other characters too to kind of help guide you through why and how he becomes who he's going to become. And so I I really appreciated that. And that's what you want from a movie called Aquaman. You want Aquaman to have a good character arc. And I think he, he gets one. So Amber Heard is, is Mara, you know, she was only in justice league for a few seconds. I feel like, Um, but I really enjoyed her chemistry with uh, Jason Momoa. And I just appreciated her, her portrayal of the character Mare is an incredible character in the comics that's very powerful. 
actually, as we are recording this now, she's actually queen of Atlantis in the comics. So, I mean, she is a very important character in the DC comics, and I felt like she brought her life very well. And I just kind of love that she's the character who doesn't kind of put up with Momoa's, you know, dude bro act. And she kind of helps him move forward by treating him like the adult that he is and making him become more adult. And I just, I, I thought that was great. And I really cannot wait to see where they bring her, you know, in the next film because she, I think she brought the character to life and she did the comics justice, which is exactly what you want. Yeah, I love yeah. her Little Mermaid wig. Uh, that was just fabulous for me. <laughs> Too bright for you. I kept thinking Little Mermaid every time I'd look at her. Well, but, I mean, she um, does kind of look like the Little Mermaid a little bit. So, But I just does. love that they they gave her this. I mean, they just went for it again. They just gave her the hair that she has in the comics, which is that red. So Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, that this it, it has that look. It's like it's trying to pay... It's trying to play homage to the comics in a sense and knowing that, you know, we can't take this too seriously. But I I did enjoy uh, the powers that she had where she can move the water and create like air pockets and, and, and uh, help to save Aquaman's father after, you know, the car crash from the waves and such. And I do agree with you. I think she was, she's really the glue of this movie. She, her character is the one that brings all this about. She's the one who brings Aquaman to Atlantis. She's the one who's fighting for her people for justice. If it wasn't for her, the world would have exploded and been taken over. And, uh, it's, she's actually the hero of the movie. She just brings the, the king of Atlantis to Atlantis. So you're saying she brings around the return of the king. I like that title. <laughs> Aquaman, the return of the king. Uh, yeah, I, I loved Mira anyway from the comics because of her toughness, because she was the kind of person that didn't take crap from anybody. And I love that Amber Heard played her the same way in the movie. And I, I think that you're absolutely right, Bruce, that she was the glue that brought all of this together Um and I, at first, wasn't sure how I felt about it when she interrupts the Ring of Fire fight, but it ends up going a much better direction, I think, because of that. So then I ended up being okay with it after I saw where it went. Um, but it it was so cool, too, even that, you know, you don't find out until later when Orm says, she's my betrothed, that they were engaged or anything. You just think that they're having to work together. Um, so I like that that adds that even other layer of a now a love triangle, basically, um, because the half brothers are already having enough issues together to now be fighting over a woman, too. Well, um, I think, though, that's the thing that um, I really appreciated is it didn't feel like it devolved into a ridiculous love triangle. Right. Because it felt, I, natural. It felt like Orm's marrying her because it's it's politically expedient, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. Zelbol's, um you know, Neris, the leader of Zebul, the, the of the king of the, that Atlantean tribe, has has betrothed them because it's good and it's a good alliance, right? Not because yeah. there's any love there. And she even says that, you know, it has nothing to do with love. It has to do with what's doing best for my people. 
you know? And so I appreciated that she sees the reality of the world and very much like when we talk about, you know, if you look at many of those marriages between kings and queens of of um, the Middle Ages, you know, it had nothing, it's not about love, it's about what's best for the different countries. And she's doing what's best for her country um, by being betrothed to Orem. And I think that's the thing that I really appreciated about, um, I felt like in the movie, is I didn't feel like they forced the romance between Arthur and Mara. I felt like it kind of comes along as the movie progresses and as they kind of go through this experience together, they kind of see each other in different lights. And by the end, you know, they have their kiss, right? Because they've become close. But it it, it never felt like... Um, to me, like they, they put, they shoved that romance into the forefront. It just felt like that thing that's on the back burner kind of simmering throughout the movie. And to me, I felt like it really worked because it wasn't like, oh, we're going to do a really awful love triangle. They're going to be fighting over the girl. Like it wasn't like that. It, it, it Mm -hmm. became two people who fall for each other as they see who the other person truly is and they fall for that. Like, she sees who Arthur is. He needs to see She it. brings out his potential. Right. And and I feel like that he kind of, I think he inspires her to do the same, you know? Um, because she she's inspired to save him in spite of her father, in spite of the fact that she may be executed later on because she feels like that's what's best. So I, I think the way that they put this all together to me really worked. So I appreciated that she didn't just turn into... Oh, she's got to be Aquaman's love interest or in part of a bad love triangle. She has her own agency, but also that the romance that they had felt, I felt like very natural. Like, you know, the thing that would happen when you go on an adventure with somebody and, you know, see their best side. We've all had that happen in the Sahara Desert and going to Sicily. Oh, we have? I mean, who hasn't? (laughs) I, I mean, it's happened at least three or four times. (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't Mine know about. I mean, what do you think of the romance, Christy? Because we talked a little bit about this after we left the movie, and when I got in the car, my daughters felt it was forced, like it just came out of nowhere. Um, I didn't think that way. It's like I said to my daughters, I'm like, well, I didn't feel like there was a big romance at the end anyway. She kissed right. him, and yep. you know, like you're saying, Matt, the, it was something kind of simmering maybe throughout. So it wasn't like there was a now a big romance and they're getting married at the end. That would have been pushing it too far. But mm-hmm. Christy, did you feel there was chemistry between the two that was romantic? I felt like it could have been stronger was my thing. I, I, I feel the same way as you do as far as that it, it was definitely there and that it was it worked enough for me. But it still felt a little bit. Um, like they hadn't built enough of a relationship before it turned romantic to me. Um, it, it, or maybe it was that the Italy scene felt like it was too soon or out of place. Um, but it, it just in general, I felt like the chemistry could have been better. I liked the, the whole aspect of the Italy scene of how they, because they're forced to work together, she sees the fact that he's not just a dumb brute. He's actually pretty mm-hmm. smart. He knows his history. You know, they end up finding um, where they should go because of his knowledge. Um, but at all, all at the same time, I, I think 
that they both saw in each other their dedication to using their powers to protect other people, you know. Um, right. And that part I liked. Yeah. It was more just the f- very first part of it. Yeah, I can, under- um, I can understand that. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I see what but, you're saying. And I, I do think that, um, you know, I, I'm... Especially if you're going to have a romance in a film, I definitely want it to be something that you focus enough on. Uh, I I feel like what, like you said, Bruce, they've set up enough that they're together, but it has it wasn't the forefront of this movie. It's just kind of there as a part of the character's experience, and therefore it would probably be something you would have a little bit more focus on in like Aquaman two, you know, um, down under. Uh, so <laughs> what did you guys think of Patrick Wilson playing Orem, Ocean Master, half brother? I loved him in Phantom of the Opera, so I was excited to see him, uh, especially as such a different character than what I had already seen him. Um, it, I thought he did a great job. I mean, he really pulled out all the stops with being tenacious um with really showing how he felt that he was the rightful king of atlantis um and all of his reasons for being mad at arthur i mean if you thought that your half brother was responsible for your mother's death you would probably be mad too (laughs) so i i really just thought he was great in every way i didn't see any issue with orm at all Uh, i think orm was one of my least favorite characters in this not that I didn't like him. I just wasn't all that invested in him. And that's probably where I start to have a complaint about this movie. There are many characters in here that I really didn't feel invested in because I felt they're very one-dimensional. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but I just felt like there were so many times that characters were just playing like, at one emotional. It's like, at one emotion. And it's, it's like I was saying earlier about Jason Momoa not having a whole lot of range. I don't feel like it, this film really gave the actors a lot of opportunity to have range and, and to really develop a very deep character. So it felt just very much on the surface of the ocean, their characters to me. Uh, that's a little pun. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Orm was fine. I, I think I liked Orm better at the end. Uh, with his interaction with Aquaman at the very last scene and the seeing the, his mother and that I liked the play, but the rest of it, it was like every time he came on screen, I was just kind of like, ugh, this guy again. And I don't, that has nothing to do with the actors. I just think it's the script. I just don't think there was a lot to do with it. I like him in, in the role and I think he does it well. Um, I liked that they kind of, showed his deviousness the fact that he's behind you know like the submarine attack on him and Neris, so -hmm. that you know they would join him like he's the one who's been uh you know wagging the fishtail uh to create this war with the surface and i think that's that's done well um i i i think that for me you know he's good but i think that um I think you say his name, Yeah Abdul Mateen II. I think he, as Black Manta, actually steals the show, though, as the villain villain. Like, Orm's yeah. a villain, right? But I think Black Manta was better. I think his the characterization of the character was just... It, I was a little bit more invested with that. Uh, and it was exciting to see him turn out to be such a, a complete badass as a character because... 
you know, as they set up the fact that at the end credit sequence, you know, we're going to we're going to get Black Manta back in an Aquaman 2. Like he'll probably be uh, the, the main villain. And so the fact that he's the thing that I really enjoyed villain wise in the film makes me excited the fact that he would be the one then to continue with that mantle in the next film. So, you know, both yeah. of those characters together, Orm was good. I think he does what he needs to do for the movie. I'm with you, Bruce. I wouldn't say he's a huge standout, but I do think that the Black Manta Carol, whoo, man, I, it was, he was great. And the fact that he looks just like the comics is yeah. incredible. The suit is the best part of Manta. That helmet was what I was waiting to see. Yes. I'm going to need a bigger helmet. Yeah. <laughs> and him tinkering with it as well was yes, great that yes, he makes yes. it his own, paints it black. It adds uh, dimension to his character. You know, he's this pirate, but he's also very technologically savvy. You know, that's that's the thing that he he has over Aquaman in that sense. You know, like that's not Aquaman's strength, right? Being Aquaman's a barbarian. Savvy. Yeah. Right. So I think, yeah, I just really appreciated uh, that they, I felt like they did, you know, as much as we talked about Arthur and Mara having, you know, a real resonance with the comics, I think Black Manta is the other character you want to nail and do it well. And I think they, oh, they knocked it out of the park there. Yeah. And, you know, during the credits, just the initial credits, Christy turned to me and said oh i wish we would have had more of black manta and now he's gone i'm like well for all we know he's not dead and then the bonus scene comes on i'm like oh yeah he's not look <laughs> and that's one thing i mean it's great because i'd love to see black manta we could have used more of him and i think yeah they're saving him for the next movie uh but you know it, i just there was just times like that where it's like predictable and but that's like in so many superhero movies now i guess i'm just getting to a point now that i'm tired of like oh yeah this like there's so many superhero movies that there's the same kind of things happen the same kind of themes i'm ready for something a little more different than oh the bad guy's dead oh no he's not you know but that's in so many things nowadays but yeah that that kind of bothered me though that they would play that i just would would have wished that in the Italy scene, when we thought he was dead, just go ahead and, and address it right then and there that he's not and not save ah. it to the end. I think um, mm -hmm. the thing that I thought that they did well, though, and it's difficult to do this, but I felt like they did pull off the two villains in a movie simultaneously well. The fact that they had Orm and they had Black Manta, that I think they felt, uh, they pull off having two villains there. And, and what was great is that you felt, you know, You've got Orm's backstory and why he would be angry at Arthur. You have Arthur's backstory of why he would be angry at Atlantis. And then you have Black Manta and why he would be angry at now Arthur. And you put all that together. I feel like they, they found a good way to fit all that in without it making it feel like just too much. I mean, it's we don't get the Spider-Man 3 effect where it's like three villains and it's just there's too much. I felt like they right. did a good job of... of finding a way to craft the story so that each villain storyline had its specific purpose and fulfilled that uh, and didn't do it in a way where it felt like it was stepping on the other's toes. And and I think part of that is just because we find that Orem has actually been the one that's hiring Black Manta to do a lot of his dirty work. So I think that was very smart. And, and not only that, but we also tied in the fact that Orem is responsible for sending Black Manta to the submarine in the very beginning 
And in many ways, he's just as kind of responsible for Aquaman and Black Manta having clashed there as Aquaman is. So it's like it was it was very it's very nicely constructed, I think, script wise when it comes to the villains. It is because at least it's not just, oh, Black Manta is just out for revenge. Yes, there is a yes. tie between Black Manta and what's going on in Atlantis. And so that really makes it more of an interesting bad guy in this sense. And yeah. he has swords that flip out of his hands. That was that was pretty cool. That was pretty awesome. I love that with the Manta symbol on it as well. So we had a, a couple of different characters that I, you know, that have smaller roles, but, you know, you've got Willem Dafoe as Volko and you, you had Dolph Lundgren as Neris. And I think both of them, um, I don't think they have a, a lot to do, but I think they cast well so that whenever they do have something to do, they have the weight on screen so that you believe whatever's happening with them but they're not the focus you know um i just think they did a good job with pulling in those characters and using them and now too i think again you have great character actors for whatever you want to do in the sequel as well but i i just felt like they they were used well enough and mainly they just anytime they do have something to do on screen there's a gravitas there just because of who they are as actors. Yeah, I think that they were both great choices casting-wise for both of those roles because you needed someone that would come across as very regal, has been around for a while, could advise on things. Um, and I love that they had that dual thing of um, Volko also training Arthur. Um, and then, you know, basically Orm finding out Um was this great reveal and everything between them, but it, it absolutely depended on them being well-known actors, I think. Um, and it worked. And I think it also too, I like that moment between Mira and um, Dolph Lundgren when she says she's basically realizing who he is and that he's supporting the war against the surface totally changes your perspective of her, their relationship. Yeah, I think this is a good cast. I don't have a complaint about any of the actors being cast in this. I think it's a strong cast. I think they uh, could have done more. Not they themselves, but again, I'm just saying the script. I, But again, I mean, I know what kind of movie this is, so I'm not necessarily expecting an Oscar-winning performance or script out of this, but I just would have liked to have a little more... Uh, emotional meat to some of these characters and depth to them. But uh, no, I think the actors are, are really good. This, this is a strong cast. I will say that one person I might've recast and no disservice to her. I love Nicole Kidman, but I didn't necessarily like her being the mother. Really? Mm -hmm. I love her as an actress. And I think that you needed someone again, that was well known that could be, you know, good as a queen and everything. But I felt like, her being so well known as she is kind of took away from, for me, the experience of um, Arthur's mom being this bridge between the two worlds. I was so focused on her as the actress and not as much on the character. Well, I guess mine is somewhat similar, but different. I didn't have a problem with her being in the movie. I thought uh, having her was, is great. She's a great actress and I thought she did a great job. 
it's just uh, because she's well-known and we know her age at the beginning of the movie, we see her younger and then she's gone and we're told she's dead. I'm like, she can't be dead. They wouldn't cast Nicole Kidman to play a younger CGI version of herself if she's not going to come back as the <laughs> current. So it's like, to me, casting her and making her younger means that we're going to see her later because they just would have casted a younger actress. So to me, again, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where I felt like it was giving away a surprise that, oh, she's really alive. But outside of that, I mean, I, did, I thought she was great in the role. Man. I just was shocked because I love her in this movie. I mean, I just love the little. <laughs> I, I just like it. It's Nicole Kidman. Um, I, I think that uh, I think she pulls off everything she's supposed to do in the movie really well. Again, I think they cast somebody who does. I mean, I don't know. I just I I wasn't thinking of it as necessarily. Oh, it's Nicole Kidman per se. It wasn't pulling me out of the movie. Mm. So okay. Um. And um, I really liked her scene at the end with um, when they finally find her, you know, in the Lost Sea. With, yeah, that was very sweet. Yeah, I thought that was really good. And I also liked the end, too, at the very end when she, you know, she calls Orem, you know, and she's like, stop this. You know, this this needs to stop. Um, my sons need to stop fighting each other. I thought that was great. Um, and I liked... I. I the only thing that I, I think um, maybe I would have just wanted more of is more of her with Tamara Morrison, you know, yes. because he is so good in just anything he does. And I really liked yes. him in this role and having him, you know, hanging out at the bar with his son at, at, at the beginning of the movie was just fantastic. Um, you know, really just a great choice to to be Aquaman's father, you know, and um if anything, I kind of would have just loved to have seen more of them together. Yes, I would have. And I, I've got to give a little shout out because I actually lived in New Zealand where Tamora Morrison is from for six months back in college and um, getting to talk to him about it when I went to get his autograph at uh, the last Star Wars celebration was really cool. And um, I, I, I think that he was so deserving of this kind of role, this level, um, because before he had done some voiceover work and been um, more of a, not as much of a main character. So I, I was really excited to see him and to get some more rep- representation for the Kiwis. Yeah, he's just, it is kind of sad, I think, that he's not a character that gets a, a ton of, of work like that. And, um, you know, I, I obviously love him because of Star Wars, but I think, you know, this shows that he could do a lot more. And uh, I think, again, it was just, uh, it's fantastic casting to say, okay, we need somebody who's from the islands to play mm-hmm. his father. And it just works. And and I really enjoyed his his scenes with Nicole Kidman, like when she wakes up in the, you know, Atlanta wakes up in the morning and she puts a fish in her mouth. And he's like, I, I was going to make eggs. <laughs> you know, and it's just that was a great scene. Um, and then on, yeah. on Nicole Kidman, the scene where she just just destroys those guards that have come for her is pretty epic. See, that was the only CG I didn't like. Oh, I loved it. I thought it, it could have been a little bit more um, tight. It felt very um, I don't know how to explain it, but it like it was just moving too quickly for them to get as much detail in the individual fight scenes as I would like, but overall, not too bad. Well, I don't, I don't know if you guys realize, um, 
that uh, Julie Andrews is in this movie. I did not what? realize that. Yeah, she plays the voice of the Karathan. Oh, I love that. Isn't that you awesome? Would never expect so, that. Yeah, the original Mary Poppins back, but as a Yay. massive kaiju. <laughs> yeah, I, I did love, Matt, that you mentioned their whole discussion and Arthur getting down on his knees and saying he was not worthy. It it absolutely was a, a meaningful moment and a good thing for him to come out and just say, you know, being open and honest, no, I don't think I'm worthy, but I'm here because I want to save the world. And if that's not enough, then screw you. <laughs> I thought it was great and so fitting of his character anyway. I, I really agree with you. I, I think um, I think that scene uh, with Arthur and the Krathen when he is trying to, to let her know that he is worthy and then he says, I'm not. I think that was really interesting because... I loved the way it connected with the story that we had gotten earlier with uh, Atlan, the king of Atlantis, who is responsible for Atlantis sinking. And it's because of Mm -hmm. his love of power. And what we see is that Arthur doesn't care about power. Arthur cares about saving the people he loves. And that's the difference. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he is worthy to hold the scepter, kind of like, you know, <laughs> Thor with the hammer, because he doesn't actually want the power for himself. He wants it to do what he knows is right, which is to save every, as many people as possible. I thought that was a yeah. really nice connection that they actually, it wasn't just, oh, we're just going to give you some history. They actually tied that together with the fact of why he is worthy to hold and have the trident. And I thought that was really nice. And then I need to add in my favorite humorous scene when they have that Indiana Jones moment in the caverns in the desert and are trying to make the message play and they need water. And <laughs> Call me crazy, but I think it sounds so like a man thing to say, to say show off, could have just peed on it. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was pretty funny too. I, because I, I wouldn't say that. I just yeah. wish that wasn't in the trailers because that was such a great scene. Yes, that yes. Was already spoiled. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I agree with you, Bruce. Like that's a line that was great, and you and you laugh at it, but it's not as funny as if you had just seen it in the theater. So I right. definitely agree with you. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about the story for this movie because I thought it, you know. One of the things that DC has done that's different than Marvel has been to introduce some of the characters, but not in their own movies. And now, and then you get their movie, you know, like, so they did this Wonder Woman and with Aquaman. And I thought, you know, following up Justice League with this, I really enjoyed the way that the movie connected with Justice League. Justice, like when she says, you know, you beat Steppenwolf, we need your help now in Atlantis. I thought that that was a really nice connection, but I also felt like there was this way of allowing us to just kind of fully dive in with the character of Aquaman. And yes, we're kind of getting an origin for him being king, but we already know his uh, him as Aquaman and like they're, 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 they're still filling in some origin with where he comes from and how he's born and all that stuff. But I don't know. It just felt like um, it wasn't just 
a complete origin story movie because I've already spent time with the character, so they don't have to do as much of setting up who he is, like personally, because you know he's he's very much the same character we got. I just thought that worked. Yeah, you know, I, it's interesting that you say that because I was I was watching the movie, and as much as I do enjoy the his mother and father scenes with him as a kid. And then after those scenes develop and are over, then we get the title card saying Aquaman, and then we see him as an adult. And I kept wondering how this movie would play if we didn't get those opening scenes. It's like you were saying, it's like, why don't we just dive right into Aquaman, not get so much of the origin of him when he was younger, and would this have worked? And the fact that they kept doing these little flashbacks to when he was younger, I thought, well, that probably makes sense that those opening scenes were there. But um, I think it would have worked really well also if we had gone right to the submarine scene and then when we're in the bar with his father, find out how he grew up and what happened to his mother and have that exposition there between the two characters as opposed to seeing it. And I guess, I mean, I'm not saying one was right or wrong. It was just an idea that I had. And I think it's because of what you're saying. We've already seen Aquaman once. We already know of him. Everybody coming to this movie pretty much knows who Aquaman is. I don't know if we really need an origin story. So I'm glad it wasn't a full origin story. I like going right into the battles. If anything, I like learning more about Atlantis and what was going on under the Mm -hmm. sea. I agree. I think I, I like what you're saying, Bruce, as far as how they could have possibly played it out differently and just cut off that first couple of scenes um, because that would have also still worked and not left anything out. Um, but I, I think, too, it also I like that it's a focus on all of the worlds together how they were, you know, seven kingdoms that worked together and not just Atlantis either. Um, and, and I like that it really told more about Aquaman as an adult and, you know, moving on to becoming king um, and getting together with Mira than it did just being about him growing up. But I like that they did these flashbacks of him being trained um, and especially the scene where he's a teenager and he's learning that he thinks his mother is dead. Um, because that has so much weight to the story and it, it makes it a much more important movie, I think, to have those kind of emotional moments than just being funny the whole way through. Yeah. Well, and, and like you said, I think what that does is it, it adds weight to why he says no to Mara in the beginning when she says, I need you to come with me. He's like, no. You know, it makes complete sense why he would say that, because he thinks that because of him being born, they have killed his mother. And mm-hmm. like, why would you want to save people who killed your mother? You know, and so the overcoming of that for him, I think, is something that's a really interesting art to watch him be able to go through. And you really see that throughout the movie. So you're building all uh, of this story and it's it isn't I. I I like that you said that, Christy. The movie isn't just all adventure and funny. There are some some real moments of of good art storytelling that are happening here, which I really appreciate. And most of that comes from Arthur and the idea of you know bridging the two worlds. And I really love that the movie is very much about not prejudging an entire society or an entire people 
on just small amounts of information or just by the actions of a few, you know, because each side of this ocean conflict on the surface and below the surface are both judging each other by the worst actions, you know? And so um, we have what the uh, Atlanteans have done by throwing all of our <laughs> warships and trash onto our beaches. And then we also have what we've done to them, which is that, you know, putting, uh, polluting their, their environment. And so, um, and, and you see that with, with a lot of these characters, specifically you get to watch that play out with Mara where she comes to realize that yes the surface is much different than she thought because she's actually spending time with it she's actually in right she had never even been there yeah (laughs) she's experiencing it right and that you cannot you can't prejudge things only based on hearsay or um things that you you haven't had an actual experience with and i think that was really important in the movie to invest time to see them say no we need to invest time with actually meeting people from the other side having a conversation getting to know each other and that's what makes arthur so important is that he's lived on the surface world and he can help um, bridge that gap between the two to make them actually interact with each other instead of just be afraid of each other and treat each other like enemies. I wholeheartedly agree. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> I I also think too that it's it's interesting because we kind of talked before as well that I really liked the lesson of mercy. And I really liked Arthur yeah. having to learn that lesson. Um, and I felt like it was, it, and that was the way where I felt like when you were talking, we were talking about the idea of the villains coming together, th- how their two arcs and where they end up are different because their interactions at the end are different from each other with the hero. And the right. hero that Ar- Arthur is at the beginning of the film is different than the the hero he is at the end. And part of that has to do with the fact that he's embraced the humility of not necessarily being worthy of this great task. And I think that humility changes him to realize, no, he hasn't been doing everything right. And I really appreciated that, that we are allowing a hero to move forward um, and to uh, become the one that that's an even better hero. You know, especially through a mistake we've actually seen in the movie. I really liked that. Yeah, because going back to the scene where David Kane starts to want to get his revenge because of the death of his father and Aquaman just leaving him to die there and drown on the submarine. Um, it's a it's a good scene, but at the same time, I thought, why is he not save? I mean. He's just going to let this guy die. I mean, why not just take him and, and you know, arrest him or throw him in the ocean? I don't know. Do something instead of just like, you know, I'm just going to allow you to die. And so he's not really showing him mercy. But then I start to see over like because that just didn't seem like a hero thing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And but then as the movie goes on, the hero starts to reveal himself he starts to become the hero he starts to learn more about himself and now we see the consequences of what you know what happened by not saving this guy's father now the guy wants revenge teams up 
with, you know, Atlantis and in the whole war and, you know, and now he's got this big, you know, bad villain that's going to be after him in the next movie. And Aquaman should know, you know, don't set up your next movie with another villain, you know, be done with them. (laughs) (laughs) And that he can't just be judge, jury and executioner all on his own. That's right. Yes. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Well, and I think what it 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 was really nice see, to see too is that we're also talking about consequences for actions. And Arthur is seeing the consequence of that action of not helping when he could have, even if it's the villain, right? Because I think that's the thing is that yes, they've hurt people. But should you be the one to play God in that situation? Or should right. you arrest them as a hero arrest and turn them into the authorities and have them then face the judgment that they deserve through the legal system? And I think that's the thing that uh, is that he learns is he's n- that's not his place, you know, which is different too at the end because it is his place. He's the king mm-hmm. of Atlantis. So he gets he has to make full opportunity. Exactly. <laughs> he has every right to do it under their laws. And yet what does he do is he he changes the perception and he's changing the course of the Atlantean future by by setting a new precedent as king, which is to say, mm-hmm. no, I'm not just going to kill the person who is against me. I'm going to create a path towards us finding redemption together. And I think that's a really, really powerful thing because we I just, we live in this world that's so full of people who immediately write each other off, whether they know each other or not, just because, just because they may have seen somebody tweet something on Twitter. You know, and there's this complete, disregard for the humanity of people and what i love is that arthur embraces the fact that no it's another human being and therefore i need to treat them with the the respect they are due even if they don't treat me with the same i think that's Mm -hmm. a really cool lesson to see in a movie yeah i think there was no better way they could have ended the conflict between he and orm for sure and and then bringing in their mother to show him that there's a reason that arthur had this change of heart as well um i think that it just even further solidified that whole relationship of wow maybe orm can actually change yeah so i i thought it was great not to make the same mistake twice yes yes well and i i think you know, isn't that what's important about writing these kind of movies, you know, uh, is is to uplift us with good morals, meanings and messages and to see that play out then um, that is the heroic thing to do is and, and in many ways. Um, he's kind of he's kind of turning the other cheek at Orem. Uh, instead of killing him, he's he's giving them at the 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 chance of repentance and redemption, and I think that's a really good message. So, um, yeah, I, well, I just we'll really see how that plays that. out. Yeah, I I mean that'll be fascinating. How how does that work then in when we get to Aquaman too? You know, and and um, will we even see him play a part in that? So, um, you know, uh, you know, I also have to say too, um. I might not be the world's like 
leading environmentalist, but I do get distressed when I see um, the fact that there are literal tra- trash islands in the ocean. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, and that kind of thing, it really does bother me that we are not taking care of our world. And I appreciated that this movie is Aquaman and that we talk a little bit about and we see that um, it's kind of disturbing. Um, and I really am glad that they didn't, you know, beat around the bush on that because that's a travesty that that we could be paying for for generations to mistreat our oceans in such a way, especially when they're two thirds of our planet. Yeah, I, I honestly, just to add in there with you, I I used to think that it was too big of a concept to grasp how bad it was and that, you know, well, someone somewhere's surely doing something about it. But it, no, I mean, you don't have any idea until something happens like happened to me recently. I bought squid at the grocery store and was trying to make calamari at home and there was plastic in there with it. Ooh, so the trash got That's into gross. it. The trash got into it. That's awful. So it, it really is actually a problem and there's really things we can do about it. So I, I absolutely agree yeah. with you, Matt. Yeah. When it affects Christie's meal, that's when yeah. I know there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys, uh, so there are a ton of action sequences in the movie and I wanted to ask you how you felt about, you know, I mean, this is obviously a big action adventure movie. How did you feel about that? Uh, did you like the action adventure sequence? Did you feel like it added anything new to the world of comic book movies? Or did you just feel like, you know, oh, I'd seen it all before? No, I, I thought it was very original. Um, I mean, there's some things that are a call to other movies, but it's taking place under the sea with different creatures and things going on. So it's a different take on it. Um, I think I really enjoyed the action. I think that's the selling point of this movie for most people is the action. It's the extravaganza. It's, this is a movie that you have to see on a big screen. I don't think it's going to do justice on a smaller screen. Um, but I think the action is just, and the special effects that go with it all is just very intense and very much moving and, and, and constant. And once it slows down, it picks up right back again and until some action, it didn't get to a point to me where it was just too much. I mean, there's a lot of it. And a lot of times I've seen some action movies where I'm just like, all right, enough, enough, enough. But I never felt that way with this. So I think the pacing was just right uh, and there's just so much being thrown at you that it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I think that's what helps it. And my favorite action sequence uh, is, and I saw this, of course, in previews and trailers too, but the Sicily chase on the roofs and, and things and, and the bell tower, that's one of my favorite action sequences in the film. And uh, the war in you know, at the end was really great too. But um, the one thing I don't like uh about the direction of this movie is just all the so many camera sweeps you know there was almost like this Mm -hmm. certain rhythm to the camera movements that i could predict what next camera movement was coming it was like he was following a template of okay zoom in here zoom in from another angle zoom in from that same angle again go back to the other angle then we do a clockwise rotation around the scene come back zoom up tilt down like i felt like i knew the same rhythm of the camera every time and i just think think about every time there's a scene where the camera does a rotation it's always 
clockwise, never counterclockwise. It was really kind of getting to me. That that was bothering me, but the action sequences themselves were good. Yeah, I I liked almost all of the action sequences. I think that there were only two that sort of bothered me, and it was more of what you're saying, Bruce, with the camera work. Um, I, I felt like the one thing that has been so overdone specifically in Snyder movies is this, um, 300 or matrix style backbend during a fight to avoid getting swiped in the face or shot with a bullet. I'm just tired of seeing that trope. And it happened again when Orm and Arthur were fighting each other. And so that really just made me very cynical in that moment. But it, otherwise, I felt like it, all of the action scenes were well put together. I thought that the CG overall was really good. Um, and it felt like they built a lot of tension. Um, I, I think my favorite action sequence was either um, the chase on the roof or, um, like I was saying earlier, with the uh, dive to the trench um, avoiding all of the trench creatures was yes. really epic to me. Um, and then I, I think really th- the point I was telling Bruce, even after the movie that I just felt like, yes, fist pump was, uh, when Arthur rode in on top of the, uh, Carathan. Oh, that was, yeah. When you, when you ride in <laughs> on a kaiju, like, I mean, yeah. Could it be like, bad? I'm with you. Yes. <laughs> No, I agree. I, I I think, you know, I didn't notice as much the camera movements, but it's definitely something I'm going to look out for when I see it again, because I'll be seeing it again uh, a few times. Um, but I, uh, Bruce, I'm right with you. I felt like, you know, we had seen it in the previews, but I felt like the, the rooftop chase sequence was done really, really well. And part of that was that it looked real. Like, it felt like they were in Italy. It felt like they were actually running on rooftops. They did a good job with the reality of it. And the, the, and the special effects work, I thought, was really strong in it. Um, I, I never felt like they weren't in that place, which is really important when you're going to do an outdoor action sequence like that to make it feel real. Uh, I think I really enjoyed the last action sequence as well, Christy, when he rides in on the Carathen and... It's just all out mayhem. And I think what I loved about it again is it's just, it's no holds bar. Like Juan just goes for it. This is Aquaman. It's underwater. We're going to go, you know, crab S crazy with stuff because it's just so crab crap crazy. There you go. The three C's. (laughs) Um, We're just going to go insane with it. And we're really going to truly embrace the crazy of Aquaman. And I think by doing that, it makes it work. I mean, those seahorse things are just incredible. The the people on sharks and I mean, just the, all of the different technologies for the underwater uh, peoples, the different peoples themselves were really cool. I mean, you had the ones that look kind of more like mer people. Uh, like and you have and the then, brine, the crab people. Yeah, the crab, <laughs> the brine. Which uh, John Reese Davies is the voice of the king. Uh, so uh, oh yay. Gimli, uh, or Sulla from uh, in Indiana Jones. There's your Indiana Jones connection. But no, all of those action sequences I think were great. But I, I also felt like they did a good job of kind of crafting different types of action sequences too. So that like when you're in the Sahara and and again it has that Indiana Jones feel. Like we're on an archaeological mission. 
you know, so that has a different feel than it does from when you're facing off against the kaiju. And, you know, like, he just did a really good job of kind of doing that. I also felt like the underwater sequences, too, kind of reminded me a little bit of Tron Legacy with the way things were lit and everything. Oh, the lighting. everything lights up and all. Yes, I I remember thinking that at one point. Which is good, because I love Tron Legacy. I have to ask you, though, how is there fire underwater? Well... So, have you ever seen um, when lava is bubbling out uh, in the islands in, in Hawaii? Uh, it mm-hmm. can be hot enough to bubble up. So, I mean, I just let it to go. To still be but burning right. under the water. Care. Yeah. So no, I'm with you, Matt. I was thinking issue. lava underwater type yeah. situation. Um, because I... I you know, I think you it can be molten enough to still have its integrity as lava. Um, mm-hmm. but you're right. It is kind of weird. That that was one of those places where I definitely was like, okay, it is underwater. It's a place I've never, you know, like this is Atlantis. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Suspend. I've never been to Atlantis. What I've never been know? to Atlantis. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I was gonna suspend some disbelief because, like you said, Bruce earlier. It's a comic book movie, and I do. I don't know if you guys agree with me, but when I was thinking about the action and just this movie in general. This feels like maybe the most comic book, comic book movie ever, in the sense that yes. like it, it completely is just a comic book. There's there's nothing about it that doesn't embrace everything about what it means to be a comic book. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. As a matter of fact, there were several scenes at the beginning. I was really listening to the dialogue and thinking that this script even plays like a comic book. And I think when I was going in, I was expecting to have a little more weight with some characters. I keep mentioning characters. Um, But I I think I, you know, once I let go of that and just allow it to play like a comic book or a cartoon or something like that, because it was, it had a lot of mythology and it had a lot of good story elements to it, but it wasn't taking itself so seriously. It's supposed to be a fun time. It's supposed to be a fun, interesting story. And that's what it was. It's supposed to be a romp under the sea. Yeah, I, I think I think I like what you're saying there, Bruce, because I do feel like I, I feel like the movie itself takes itself seriously. Like it, you know, that this actually exists, but it doesn't take itself so seriously that it can't also be fun. Mm-hmm. And I was I was talking to uh, a friend of mine today, John Mills, who everybody knows uh, on the show. Um, he was just on last week as we talked about uh, Superman the movie. That this reminded me of of Solo in a sense, because when it came to just the movie in general, I had so much fun in the theater with this movie. The same way I did with Solo, and part of that was just the spectacle of it all like you know it's kind of like this is why we go to the movies right to allow us to be fully immersed in a spectacle that we can't get anywhere else and i i think that you know the the movie does that really well it embraces exactly what it is and it's internally consistent with itself than with what that is um so i'm not pulled out you know again that that consistency is what you want i think they are able to do that with this movie and to me that's that i think that's what's impressive about it yeah i i agree i think that it it just like you're saying it it, it it's a fun time it, it you go in feeling like you've 
gone to see this huge spectacle, this epic battle, and that you've come out on top with, you know, riding the Carathon with Aquaman. So I, I loved it. I, I did have one question for you. So what did you guys think? Because we, I mentioned earlier where one of the pop songs that they introduced with the music didn't quite work, but they do that a couple of times in the movie. They use some, some different pop music. And then of course the soundtrack itself, what did you guys think? Did it work for you or were there some times where you didn't like maybe some of the choices? What did you guys think of that? I can't remember anything specific, but I do remember at least one time a pop song came on and I was just like, it took me out and I was like, okay, this is kind of strange or weird. I don't feel like this really fits in. I don't remember exactly when that moment was. So um, maybe I'd say half the time it they worked and the other half they didn't. Yeah, it- I would probably be a little bit more of like a 80-20, but um, it, it was just two songs that bothered me. It was one, like you said, Matt, that version of um, Toto's song, Africa. Um, Bruce, that may have been what you were thinking of, too, because it was very poppy when they were in the plane um, flying over the desert. It um, It just felt unnatural with the rest of the music in this movie being more... Um, instrumental more classical um timeless music i guess i would call it um that fits the the scenes really well this kind of song being so modern and poppy it just felt out of place with the rest of what was already happening music wise um and and then for me it was also that um love song i don't remember what it was that they played at the very beginning of the sicily scene um I felt was a little silly and out of place in that moment. Um, I I felt like you could have done well with something more um, soft orchestral music to show the tone of like building romance in that scene rather than have it feel like two people on a date. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, um, I, that, that song doesn't bother me quite as much, but I do see what you're saying, Christy. I do feel like, um, I, I, yeah, I enjoyed the laugh that I got with the, the Toto song, but the everything mm-hmm. I need with Skylar Gray. I actually like the song. It's on the soundtrack. It's really pretty, but I I do feel like maybe it might have been better just to have an orchestral take there to hint at some like romance without necessarily giving you the kind of pop song that makes it maybe even more overt. So right. Um. I do have to say the thing that I really enjoy about the movie uh, score is that it kind of has a, because it's the same guy who did Wonder Woman. So it has some Wonder Woman-ish feel. It, uh, he also did uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion of the Witch and the Wardrobe. So it has a little bit of that feel. But I also noticed it kind of has a slight Tron feel to the music as well. There's some electronicness to it. And I felt like he did a good job because that really fits with, you know, Wonder Woman, you kind of want it to be robust and very, you know, um, classic because we're harkening back to Greek mythology and everything. But I felt like the feel of this movie, they did a really good job with the underworld uh, aspect to it um, and, and just being under the sea and giving it a little bit more of an electronic feel was a really smart move. I felt like. 
I do think that it does work with the visuals because under the sea, there's a lot of things that have a neon look. So the soundtrack having an electronic sound to it with with visuals that have a neon look to them, I think complement each other real well, just like you would see in Tron where things were kind of neon type looking and you have that electronic sound. And if you ever saw the cartoon movie Atlantis, it, you know, also kind of supported that um, notion that Atlantis was old world, but with great technology. And so that would work well with Tron and that kind of music as well. Yeah, that it's always been more advanced, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I completely agree with you, Christy. I think that's one hundred percent correct. And I I've been listening to the score, and I've actually been really enjoying it because I love the Tron Legacy soundtrack, you know, by Daft Punk, and I I like this this feeling. And what I also felt like, and I wanted to ask you guys, kind of as we're wrapping up here, I felt like James Wan, the director, did a good job of differentiating Aquaman from Wonder Woman and from Man of Steel. And, you know, like he gave this and he gave Aquaman his own feel. Like we don't, not every movie in the franchise has to feel the same. And I felt like he did a good job of creating the tone and just the right feeling for Aquaman as a movie. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Uh, I didn't feel like, oh, this feels like, another DC movie. It doesn't feel like the same tone. It felt like it had its, it was its own movie. It had its own personality. It had its own language. It had its own visuals. I, and, and it still can work with the other movies. I mean, each character is different in themselves. So the tone of the movie should reflect the character. And I think he did that because as I mentioned earlier, you know, Jason Momoa's performance, I felt like the movie is built around his, personality and the movie had that feel to it and so i think that really plays well into the aquaman character so it doesn't all have to feel like every movie has to have the same tone and feeling to it to work in the same universe right because diana had more of that regal serious she's very feeling of the the weight of the world on her shoulders whereas you know arthur has more usually that humorous vibe of you know he's going to be cheeky and have an attitude about everything and you know whereas diana um would be more serious about situations um i, I think that they did a really great job of differentiating them all as individual characters in these movies like this, um, but then also making it work well together in things like Justice League. Um, and, you know, it, I think it was nice having that juxtaposition of the way that Marvel does their movies um, as the one-offs and then the team-up versus DC doing the team-up and then the one-offs. Um, so I, I like having that differentiation. And I expect that the Flash film is going to have its own tone. It's, I think it's going to be probably more comedic and quirky, you know, mm-hmm. in a maybe kind of silly yeah. way. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it, it's it's just a really smart move. And, um, you know, kind of we, we've talked a lot about the film. And honestly, I think we we all had talked beforehand how we wish we could have seen it again. Uh, but wanted to ask you guys coming down to it what would you rate aquaman uh i i think after 
thinking long and hard about the few, very few objections that I had, uh, that I would give it a seven out of 10 exploding wine bottles that turn into swords. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Because I thought that was too cool. Oh, yes, that was good. That was a good special effects scene. Um, because I keep remembering these things like that, that I'm like, oh yeah, that thing was awesome. And I loved when he wrote in on top of the kaiju and, um, you know, most of the time I loved the music and I already loved Jason Momoa anyway, from Stargate and from Game of Thrones. Um, so watch those if you haven't guys. Um, and it, it just, there, it had a lot that really was so enjoyable for me. And like I said, pleasantly surprised me. I went in hoping to have a good time and was really excited by the time I left. So seven out of 10 for me. I'm probably close to that rating. Um, I would say that, I mean, I think this is a CGI spectacular special effect action pack, crazy mythology. Just, I mean, again, have to see it on the big screen. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, people applauded at the end of the movie. So that's a good sign. The audience in our theater seemed to be happy with the film. I I heard a lot of good um, comments about it afterwards and not just, oh, that was a good movie, but people seem pumped. So it's satisfying an audience. And I think uh, the audience is getting something they want out of this movie. And uh, yeah, I would have liked to see maybe a little more character development, um, maybe deeper scenes. But again, I don't know. I don't think that was the intention of the movie. And I was going in there kind of expecting some of that. And like I said, once I put that aside, I really started to enjoy the movie more. Um, I'm not a big fan of, a, like I said, some of the direction in the camera movements. But, I mean, this is this is something you have to see. I mean, it's, it's under the ocean. When's the last time you've seen a superhero movie that's fun and exhilarating and action-packed in the sea? You just haven't seen anything like that before. And Jason Momoa and the cast do a good job of allowing you to enjoy it. And they seem to be having fun themselves. So I would say I would give this a trident that has two sharp prongs on it and another one that's a little dull. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, what's your number? So that would be kind of like a two out of three. Oh, nice. That's pretty good. That's actually a really good rating. Um, You know, I, I... I like what you said there, Bruce, at the end. I think you're you're really on to something. I remember seeing the trailers for this and thinking, I think this is going to be something that we've never seen before. Like, they're finally going to give us a movie where we've actually never seen what we're about to see. Which I think is really smart. You know, like, when is the last time you saw a big underwater extravaganza in a movie that didn't, you know, have Esther Williams in it? That's a really old reference. If you get that, then I, I'm high-fiving you right now. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that it, it, that's what makes this special is that they, when we're talking about comic book movies, I feel like so many times we're very seldomly actually adding anything to the visual language or the feeling of it of it not just being like, well, I've, I've seen that before. And I don't think any other comic book movie this year gave me the feeling, that feeling of like, I, I haven't seen that before. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't matter what comic book movie it was by what company. 
Um, I just went, came out of all of them and nothing in it made me feel like, wow, that, that really, they, they really did something that we've not, you know, experienced. And I feel like Aquaman does that. Um, and I think that sets it apart. I also just had a fantastic time watching it. Like it was a mm-hmm. blast from start to finish. And I think you mentioned earlier, Bruce, that the to- the the structure of the movie allows you to go from one thing to the next and it kind of never lets up. But I didn't feel like I was out of breath by the end of it because it just kind of like beat me over the head. I, I felt like it brought me on an incredible ride uh, and I just got to the end of it. It's like going to your favorite amusement park and riding your favorite ride that's exactly what this movie felt like to me. And that's that's just what I wanted, you know? Um, and as for, like, the tone, you know, you kind of mentioned that, Bruce. I didn't go in expecting this one to have maybe quite the depth or seriousness that we had maybe gotten with, like, Man of Steel uh, or Batman v Superman, obviously. I, I felt like because of who this character is, his movie is going to feel a little bit different. And I'm glad that they didn't think that they needed to be in the same box as all the other movies. Let the movie speak for itself and, and create the movie out of that. And I'm, I just, I'm really pleased. I'm just tickled with this, this movie. Um, And I am glad that we've got the return of the Atlantean King because I can't wait for Aquaman two. And I would definitely rate this, I'm going to rate this a good eight and a half out of 10 brines. Yeah. (laughs) Brine people. That's right. So, uh, (laughs) this is, this is, uh, an incredible, and I, I want to ask you this, Bruce, because before we go, do you, don't you think that this movie is like the perfect holiday movie for the entire family? Because I don't there, I think there may be only like, they may say S twice and that's it like there wasn't any like underlying like you know sexual undertones to anything like this movie felt like a a movie you want to take the entire family to uh i know you have two kids so that's why i'm asking you did you feel like that as well now that you mention it uh yeah it feels safe i mean my daughters are teenagers but um i mean even if they were younger and I'm thinking, you know, back when they were nine or seven and all of that, I would, yeah, I would definitely take them to this. I, yeah, I don't feel like it's too intense. I mean, maybe for really little kids, it might be too much because it's two and a half hours long and they right. might get yeah. restless, but, or some of the um, creatures, my parents probably wouldn't enjoy it. My mom would say it's too loud, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, they're old, but, um, well, wait, I hope they're not listening. You're not old mom. You're not old. You look great. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> guess who's getting coal in their stockings <laughs> <laughs> but no i think you're right i think it's a very safe movie uh for the whole family is going to enjoy uh, a movie like this together for the holidays i i mm-hmm. think now that you've mentioned that i think this is the perfect time for this movie to come out for the holidays well hey you know it doesn't have to contend with the star wars movie um i think this movie is definitely going to fill that void uh, because it has all of that action adventure and and massive scope and 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 just landscape of things that kind of blow your mind in that way. Uh, so yeah, I would say go see Aquaman. Go see it on the biggest screen you can. You know, in IMAX because they're actually using the entire screen there, so it's actually worth the money they're charging you for IMAX. Um, I plan to go do that myself. 
And um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what everybody else says there on the Babel Conference and on uh, social media. Want to say a huge thank you uh, to Christy and Bruce. I wasn't sure when we were going to get to do this show because of the holidays, and I'm going to be actually out of town, and recording was going to be very difficult. And uh, you know, they both went to the Amazon screening with me so that we could get this show out to you as the movie comes out. Like this show will drop the day the movie comes out. So I just want to say a special thanks to them because they made this happen as much as I did. And that's what makes the 602 Club awesome is having an incredible guest list uh, of people like them. So really appreciate you guys doing that. And um, I really also want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Daniel Noah, and Ryan Millette. Incredible gentlemen who have made sure that the 602 Club keeps coming to you each and every week. But they also make sure that the entire network keeps coming to you each and every week. Uh, it is a very large network we have here at Trek FM, and there's no way that we can make sure that all the shows keep coming to you each and every week without your help and your support. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team. We have a lot of different great contribution levels where you get extra perks. But honestly, seriously, every little bit helps. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team. Now, Christy, thank you so much for being here. It's been a blast. You'll actually be on the last show of the year as we did Iron Fist Season 2, so everybody can look forward to you uh, being on the show next week. But... Where can everybody find you if they want to talk about Aquaman or anything else that you've got going on geek-wise? Thank you so much for having me back and for talking about Iron Fist Season 2 with me, too. I'm excited for people to hear that one. Um, it, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter to talk about Aquaman and all things geeky um, at Bespin Bell. Um, I also talk about Star Wars a lot, hence the name. Um, and you can find me on um appearing on the Star Wars Report on occasion as a contributor, as well as here on the 602 Club with Matt. And Bruce, it is always a joy and a pleasure to have you back in the 602 Club, especially since, well, this is kind of how we met, uh, was me forcing you to get on mic and be on the 602 Club. And now you host your own show here. And so, I mean, it is always a pleasure to be behind the mic with you. But if anybody wants to catch up with you, talk about Aquaman or anything else that's going on, uh, where can they find you? Well, when I'm not watching Esther Williams uh, movies, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> I really can't wait for people to try and like Google that. Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> yes, do it on YouTube. Um, <laughs> go to Twitter and uh, you can find me at Admiral underscore Rex. And as Matt says, I'm here on the network. I do the literary tricks with Dan Gunther, part of the uh, Star Trek books and comics discussions. And then I also do Live from the Edge when we have new episodes of Star Trek Discovery or Short Treks that come out. That's live on YouTube with me and Brandy Chicola. But, uh, and then I'm also on the six, no, I already said I'm on the six of two club right now. Hmm. I've been on that before. And I'm also on the Star Wars report talking Star Wars. Boy. And, you know, when I'm, getting brain farts like this i'm usually in the babel conference <laughs> well you can find me on social media platforms under the name matt rushing 2 i am on twitter instagram tumblr and on uh, letterbox that way you can also find me here on the network doing the orb with chris jones talking about uh, star trek deep space nine and then i am over on the Third Party Network talking a couple of shows. One is called Owl Post, 
And that is with uh, Dre Kaufman. And we talk about Harry Potter each and every week. We do one chapter at a time. It's a lot of fun. I hope you'll enjoy that show. Uh, and then uh, do aggressive negotiations with my good friend John Mills talking about Star Wars each and every week. We love just uh, hitting up a new topic that's been, you know, percolating in our brains each and every week throughout that saga. And then last but not least, I do a show called Cinema Stories, and that is with my friend Courtney, where we talk about films through the lens of faith. But I want to say thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? (laughs) ¶¶